Good morning, and I do want to welcome all of you online. There is a lot happening in this room, chaos this morning, moving around as we pray over people, but thank you for participating with us today. Uh, Dandelion, and if you're able to see the screen right now, there is a picture of the stages of the life of a dandelion. Now, many people for over 100 years, or around 100 years, they look at these and they see them as weeds that can take over a yard or take over a field, and once they do, it's hard to get rid of them. Now, most people believe that the dandelion came to the, what we now call the United States of America on the Mayflower, not because people thought they were pretty and they loved them, but for medical benefits. It is said that there is more nutritional value in a dandelion than in most vegetables that grow in your gardens. Now, I'm a preacher, and I read stuff, all right? So, and there's usually not a fact either about God or about dandelions I'm going to bring in front of you if, it is, if I have not seen that it is affirmed by multiple sources. And I say that because I don't want curious people going and eating a handful of dandelions this week and it actually not being that nutritious, all right? But I know for years people would call it like God's first aid kit, like just medical benefits that would come from them. Now, if you have to go home and eat them this week, wrap them in bacon, put it on the grill, I'm sure it'll be fine, all right? It makes, it makes everything better. Now, most of us at some point in our life, we have held up a dandelion at some stage of its life and we have blown on it and we have made wishes. Am I going to marry Casey or not? How many kids am I going to have? By the time I'm 95 years old, will the Dallas Cowboys win another Super Bowl? Right? And you make these wishes and you blow them. Walter Wink, a great man of faith, here's what he said one time. Killing Jesus. Killing Jesus was like trying to destroy a dandelion seed head by blowing on it that you blow the seeds everywhere so today is the day of Pentecost so many churches all over the world are celebrating Pentecost on this day they're remembering what happened in Acts chapter 2 that because of Jesus's death and his life Jesus birthed his church and then scattered and sent his church all over the world it's how we think about a day like this at Mission Sendoff that we are sending students and adult volunteers many places all over the world to what many of us would call be the hands and feet of Christ that you were the presence of Jesus in many other places that you were you were taking God and finding God in places all over the world I love how this is an image of when we come together on a Sunday morning in this space that we are coming together and then we're gonna scatter just like blowing on the dandelion all over the 901 and beyond to be the presence of Christ all over this world I love the way to think about it how we think about it like that and in Acts chapter 2 this is what happens so open your Bibles to Acts 2 and I'm gonna move us and take us through a different a few different places in the Bible and I'm not going to so much read all of Acts chapter 2. It's 47 verses. Let me just kind of walk you through what happens in Acts chapter 2. It begins with people who are waiting on God. This is what Jesus told them to do. In Acts chapter 1 verse 4, Jesus said, Go to Jerusalem and you need to wait there for the Spirit of God to come. And then in Acts chapter 2, the 120 people or so, they are in a place where they have been praying for around 10 days. So they're seeking the presence of God, waiting on the Spirit to come, and then the Spirit of God came. And when the Spirit of God came, people are speaking different languages, but what they are speaking about is they are honoring and, and lifting up the wonders of God. And there, there are thousands of people who hear it. And then Peter steps up to preach because the crowd was divided. Some of them thought that, hey, this is the movement of God, and others thought these people are just drunk. Like, way too many mimosas being handed out in Jerusalem today. Like, so the crowd is divided, and Peter stands up, and Peter begins to preach. Now, we only get a couple of minutes of Peter's content. 
I think there's a lot more that happened. In verse 40 to 42, or 40 and 41, it tells you a lot more was being taught and said on this day, not just by Peter, but by the other apostles too. So there's teaching, and when people hear this teaching, they're cut to the heart, and by Acts chapter 2, verse 37 and 38 and 39, there is repentance and there is baptism, and people are responding to God. And then in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, you have the launch of a church and this commitment where people, where it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to, the, to prayer, to breaking of, or to, to apostles' teaching, to breaking of bread, fellowship and prayer. They're committing themselves to the body of Christ. So in Acts chapter 2, you have what began as anticipating the movement of God that led into this revival and this launch of the church. Now, two things I want you to know about Acts 2. One is Pentecost. And Pentecost is a festival that people would have celebrated for hundreds of years. If you want to read more about how this festival got started, you can read Leviticus chapter 13. This is one of the three festivals that you had to be in Jerusalem to celebrate it. So Passover, especially the men, Passover, you had to be in Jerusalem to celebrate it. And then you would go home and 50 days after Passover was Pentecost. Now sometimes in the Bible it's called the festival of weeks. Sometimes it's called the festival of harvest. It came to be known by many people as the, the day that they would also celebrate how God handed the law to Moses as God was teaching his people what it means to be free people. So you would come back to Jerusalem 50 days after being there. Now, I'm sure if gas prices were high, people would rent out an Airbnb for seven weeks or they would crash with family. But two different times within two months, you came to Jerusalem for this festival. And here, if you're taking notes, here's what I want you to remember about Pentecost. They would come to Jerusalem and they would celebrate this. They would honor and recognize God as the giver of the harvest. That's what it was for. They would honor and recognize God as the giver of the harvest. For hundreds of years, this is what people would do. They would go to Jerusalem, and together as a community, they would honor how God was the giver of the harvest, how their fields were made plentiful because of God. And of all days and times for God to choose to teach people about a new harvest, it was the day that people came to Jerusalem to celebrate God being the giver of the harvest. And now it's not just God who makes your fields plentiful, it's God who is teaching his people that the whole world is right, that there is a harvest of, the, of souls that is taking place throughout the world. Something else I want you to know about Jerusalem is the temple platform is huge. So this is a total move in this sermon for me to help you visualize what the temple platform was like. Herod is the one who expanded the temple platform. Even though we don't see this guy having a heart for God, he did have a, he loved the temple and he wanted to explain the pat platform of the temple. It's huge. I have a couple of different pictures where you can, these weren't from me, from me, all right? But you can see where the wall way over there to the left and the temple platform goes all the way past the right. And if you go to this next shot, this was actually a few weeks ago. Casey and I were skydiving in Jerusalem. I'm just joking, all right? This is a, just an overhead shot of, of the temple. But you can see how big this platform is. It's over, it's about 40 acres. 500 meters wide, about 300 meters, uh, 300 by 500. It's, it's huge. So in Acts chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, you read that they are in a house. It tells you they're in a house when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. They're not in the temple worshiping God. They're in a house 
with their faces turned to God, waiting on the Spirit to come. We assume, as the different languages came upon the people, that they somehow moved to the temple, because now you have thousands of people who are hearing this. And 40 acres, right here, Sycamore View, I think our campus is about 10 acres. So think about our campus times four. Where right now in this room we have hundreds of people. On the temple platform you could hold thousands if not tens of thousands of people. So it's possible for thousands of people to be experiencing what was happening with Peter and the apostles as the Spirit of God came upon them while other people may not have known. And it's, I even sometimes think like, was Paul there and what did Paul think? So, but it's there on this huge platform close to the temple where the Spirit of God came upon people, they begin to preach and there's a huge response. Now, here's what I want to focus on just for a moment and it is the word nations. Because early on in Acts chapter 2, we are told that the nations came together for Pentecost. They came together at the temple. And nations plays out throughout the Bible as a promise of God that took hundreds of years to be fulfilled. Now, you may not know your Bibles very well, and that's okay. I'm going to lead you through a diff few different places in the Bible. I encourage you to take notes. If there are some stories I referenced today that you don't know what they are, read them, and if you have questions, reach out to me. Now, in Matthew chapter 28, we have what we call the Great Commission. And in verse 19, what Jesus tells the church is he, he gives them a strategy. A strategy for spiritual formation, a strategy for following Jesus. And in verse 19, what Jesus says, go, therefore go into the world and make disciples. Literally in the Greek, what it says is disciple all the nations. So this isn't take Christianity all throughout the world and set up a government structure that, that functions with Christianity as the overhead. It's not that. It's like you go into places and whatever nation you go into, you disciple people into the ways of Christ. And then all the nations end up coming in Acts, in Acts chapter 2. All nations end up coming to the temple to worship God. Now, what Jesus offers up in Matthew chapter 28, this wasn't like a new idea. It wasn't like now we're going to go and be a blessing to all the nations. This was not a new idea on the part of God. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. And this is what God told Abraham before his name was Abraham. This is what God told Abram. And what he told him is, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Like there is this nation that God's going to establish but it's not just going to be to set up a, a fortified wall to protect that nation is so, so that that nation can be a blessing to the entire world. But that's not the first place the word nation shows up in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 10, after knowing the flood, we're told in Genesis 10, the very end of Genesis 10, these are the clans of Noah's sons, according to their lines and descent within their nations. And from these nations spread out all over the earth after the flood. And then you turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 11. And in Genesis 11 verse 1, it says this, now the whole world had one language and a common speech. All right, the whole world had one language and a common speech. So this is the story that we have called the Tower of Babel or the, the story of Babel. And the way this story goes 
is you have these people who they, they want to build this tower all the way up to the heavens, and the language they use is that we want to be great. Right? We want to be great. So even though the nations have been scattered all over the world where there was only one language, they all spoke the same language, now they have this ambition, like we want to do something great. We want to be remembered for doing something great. And in Genesis 11, could very well be a story that happened, but I want you to think about Genesis 11, not just as a story that happened, but this is what sin does. This is what happens when we decide to try to make a name for ourselves and we leave out God and we leave out service to the world like it's just about us. And what happens is the people had to be scattered. So what you read in Genesis 11 in verse 5 through 9 is this right here. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. And the Lord said, if as one people speak in the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. And so the Lord scattered from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city and that is why it was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world and from there the Lord scattered them over all the face of the whole earth and let's just stay right there just for a moment it's one of the saddest stories in the Bible and it's almost foreshadowing like this is what happens when people or nations want to try to make a name for themselves and they leave out God and they leave out service people are scattered because there's disunity there's division there's animosity. Now there's competition of who can be the best. And we see what this has done to the entire world. And right after Genesis 11, when they are scattered, you have this promise given to Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 verse 3. That somehow, through the promise of God to Abraham, he's going to be a blessing to all the nations. Now chapter 11, now languages are confused all over the world. And to this day, this is why we can't decide sometimes how we're supposed to pronounce words. Is it data or data? Is it jif or gif, right? Uh, this is why we can't decide, is it pop, soda, or coke? Like, what are we going to call this carbonation? And what do you, how do you pronounce this word right here? If you just go to the, yeah, this right here. How do you pronounce this? Is it gyro, gyro, hyro, gyro, fajitas, right? <laughs> like, uh, just... Meeting something that looks good, or I can't pronounce it. I'm in New York City. I'm going to go get a slice of pizza because I know I can pronounce that. Like, now you got languages that are confused all over the world. But here's what I want to try to connect today. Is that Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 reverses what happened in Babel in Genesis chapter 11. Now, Acts chapter 2 doesn't bring up the story of Babel. So the Bible doesn't teach it like this, but there are times where the Bible is making connections. And we can see some connections that happen throughout the Word of God. And let me just show you a few things. How what happens in Acts chapter 2 reverses what happened in Babel. In Babel, languages divide, and in Acts chapter 2, languages unite. In Babel, they could not understand each other. In Acts chapter 2, no matter what language or what tongue was being spoken, they could understand each other. In Babel, they were trying to build a tower, their own tower. But in Acts chapter 2, Jesus built his own church. In Acts chapter 2, people aren't asking Jesus, like, hey, we'll take it from here. We'll do the building. It's Jesus who builds his church and the people who come alongside. In Babel, you see that the Lord came down. And when the Lord came down, the Lord had to confuse what was happening 
because it wasn't bringing glory to God and it wasn't going to be for the good of the world. In Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God came down to unite people and to launch a movement that would be a blessing to the world. In Babel, they are scattered right, from each other. In Acts chapter 2, through the rest of the book of Acts, people are scattered for the mission of God, for, for each other. In Babel, there was disunity. In Acts chapter 2, there's unity. So in Acts chapter 2, it reverses all of the division that happened in Genesis chapter 11 so that God could bring all the nations together to launch this new thing called the church. So Acts chapter 2, we have the birth of the church. And here's the deal. I have to make a confession. I wrote three different conclusions for this sermon. You're just going to get one, all right? You won't get all three. But I wrote three. And I would write it and I would like it. And then I would pray through it and I would think, oh man, okay, I don't think that's it. So here's the version you're going to get. I think most of us here, like we're interested in the future of the church. Like what's the future gonna, of the church? What's it going to look like? Because we know, I mean, we know in the Western world, like at least attendance in local churches has been on the decline for around 20 years or so. And we know COVID only, uh, only sped up that decline in some ways. But any conversation we have about the future of the church, at some point needs to come back to the beginning of the church. So anyway, you want to try to process the future of the church and what it means to reach people for God and what it means to invest in the next generation, at some point it has to come back to how the church launched because there are some rhythms and patterns in Acts chapter 2 when the church was launched that transcend all ages and all times where there has to be people who are anticipating the movement of God. People who are waiting for the Spirit to move and then we're going to follow where the Spirit moves. People who take seriously the Word of God when the Word of God is preached and taught. People who respond to the movement of God and the truth of God in a church that chooses, where people choose, to be united no matter what. Like, hey, even though we come from a lot of different places, we are devoting ourselves to the movement of God. Now, here's what, re here's what research says. Research tells us that the large majority of people who make decisions for Christ, who turn to Christ, who repent, who are baptized, who turn to Christ, most of them, the large majority, do that before the age of 18. So the kind of church we have been now for around 45 years that pour into a children's ministry and youth ministry, not just for the kids and students, but to help that family know what it means to pursue God together. It matters now more than ever. And we rejoice when anyone turns to the Lord, whether they've been raised in the church and it's a decision they make, or, or, or they've never heard the word of God and they didn't grow up in church, and it's a decision they make. What it also means is, that there are a lot of people in our world today over the age of 18 who've never given a, been given a chance to hear the Word of God or they don't think it is something worth investing in. And here's where we are called, not just to raise kids in the church, but to be the church in the world that as we engage people in workplaces and in neighborhoods and nonprofits, at some point, we are those who speak words of Christ into other people as we invite them into the story of God. I don't ever want us, and I don't think you want this either, where, hey, we're going to take seriously Jesus until kids are 18, and once they're over 18, I don't know if we can get them anymore. We want God to move in this church, have a heart for people to connect to God no matter what. 
And what you see in Acts chapter 2 is that the focus and the attention and eyes are on the movement of God. Not on their own comfort. Not on do they like traveling to Pentecost or not. And not on do they like the experience of Acts 2 or not. The attention is on God. Sometimes I think uh, we've read Acts 2 where we focus on the repentance part, but we leave out the transcendence part. Where we want people to repent, come and find God, but as far as waiting on the Spirit of God to move, it hasn't, for some of us, it just hasn't been a big part of our theology. And there are some churches who focus so much on transcendence and encounters people have with God, and they don't focus a big part on like Acts 2.42, what it means to commit to a local body as we pursue the heart of God together. I think one of the worst questions for people to ask when they leave a worship experience is, did you like it or not? Like, did you like the songs Kip and the Praise Team led? Or did you like Josh's sermon? Or I wish Josh would have done one of those other conclusions. Or, or you know, do we like the way we just do things in worship? I think the questions that have to drive us, if we're serious about formation and maturity, is when we come together as a church, how do we pursue God together? How did we encounter God? What did this morning's experience, how did it encourage me to do something with my life this week? Because we gather around the table every Sunday, but good theology isn't just about gathering together. It's, it's being reminded that we are scattered for the sake of the mission of God and for each other. And one thing I take into my prayer life quite often is thinking about the thousands of people this church bumps into every week in your life. In your neighborhoods, your workplaces, when you're at Kroger, when you're just going out and about your life. Like right here in this church, the influence we can have on the city of Memphis and beyond. I just pray for God to keep our eyes open. To see all the ways God is working and all the ways God may want to use you. Acts chapter 2 and Pentecost is not just an event that happened. It is an event that is still happening. And we are a part of it. So this morning we do have six tables set up for communion. Some of you already have your prepackaged communion. And this is a moment for us to be reminded we gather and we scatter for the mission of God. And there are three questions up on the screen, if you'll throw those up there, just for us to reflect on as you sit down or maybe you go to a table and you go back and you sit down. And just these three questions. Are just In Acts chapter 2, how did the church begin? How are people saved? What do saved people do? And it's going to be up there for a minute or two as we move to tables and get communion. And then Kip and the praise team are going to step up and they're just going to sing a special song over us to bless us this morning. So can we bow our heads, close our eyes? And if you're willing or able, we just open your hands where you are just to receive from the Lord this morning. God, as you came down in Genesis 11 and in Acts 2 as you came down, come upon us today. In this moment, I pray, God, through the bread and the cup, that you will open our eyes and the eyes of our hearts to see you clearly to see how you want us to view our past, how it is you want us to view the places you're going to send us this week. Give us eyes that can see Jesus in all things. Through Christ we pray. Amen.